from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Guys, the S&P 500 has been up 13 out of 14 times, six months after a seven-month win streak with a very impressive, I think it's 7.9% average return. Um, so that's much better than the average return. So again, this is just one data point. There's lots of other things out there, but this is this does not do much to uh, slow down our overall view. This is a major structural uh, secular bull market that likely has many more gains and potentially a long life left to it. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here and Jeff Bookbinder has another appointment to the, today, and um, I guess really all day Tuesday from what I understand, and that's all right, because we've got the reinforcements. Lawrence Gillum is going to come in, which is good, because we're going to talk a lot about the Fed. Now, Lawrence, I've heard the rumor you are the Fed whisperer on the LPL research team. What what is What does that mean? What is a Fed whisperer? What, what, what happens having that uh, designation? Yeah, that means that, uh, that I that I watch the, the the press conferences and listen to the, the speeches, so no one else has to. Uh, so they can be pretty dry at times, but I uh, I, I enjoy them and I and I you know I watch them um, every time they're out there. Uh, that's great. I mean, I guess my extent of it was on Friday. I saw stocks went up a lot. I said, "Oh, okay, good. I guess he didn't say anything too bad. We'll get more into it." But uh, he he. Uh, Hey, stocks like what uh, the Fed chairperson had to say on Friday. So, um, you know, again, we're going to dive into some of what we saw at Jackson Hole last week and kind of what does it all mean? When is the Fed going to taper? Jeff and I talked a lot about that last week. And maybe even when could the first rate hike be? Believe me, we're all throwing kind of darts in the in the dark here on this still. But Lawrence is going to whisper his way through it and let us know. Then we're going to have a fun fun discussion. We call it poking the bear. In our weekly market commentary this week, we took a look at five kind of common bear themes that, that are out there and we hear. And believe me, there are some bearish themes that we hear. We, we totally believe and, um, you know, somewhat worry about, I guess you could say, in the middle of the night. But these five are some that we do not think are as nearly as worrisome. We're going to dissect those. We think it's important for investors to realize, um, you know, kind of what you should worry about and what you shouldn't worry about. So, Lawrence, we're going to start with something that I think is really important. It's the idea of kind of the supply chains and how impacted the whole world is. I saw some horrible news. McDonald's in the UK ran out of milkshakes on supply chain woes. Now, let me just tell you something. I don't believe we've run out of milkshakes here in the U.S., but when I see things like that, that's real world. People cannot get their milkshakes. Have you run into any issues with the supply chain? I know you just moved, bought a house. It's virtually impossible to get parts or anything. Have you had had any issues with supply chain in your new house so far? We, we have. Uh, on, on one episode, we, uh, we ordered a, a refrigerator. Yeah, uh, and it took us about five months to get it. Uh, so it was it was a long time coming uh, <laughs> to get this this refrigerator, which I mean you wouldn't expect a refrigerator. It you know it's a it's a fully constructed refrigerator, not just parts. So it took us about five months to get it. So that that's been the, the biggest issue. But the, the milkshake that yeah that's that's horrible news. Yeah, that's um. I mean, our friends in the UK. Hey, I'm sure they enjoy a milkshake just as much as just about everybody else, and I, that's terrible news. So it's a, so I'm a chocolate guy. What's your favorite milkshake by chance, Lawrence? If you had to pick a flavor, I guess we'd say uh, my favorite milkshake not not from McDonald's, but I love the the, the Chick Fil A peach ones. Those yeah. are every time those are available, I I, I have to have one. And yeah, no offense, McDonald's, I'm not a big fan of their milkshakes either. But yeah, <laughs> Chick Fil A, I like the. Cookies and cream at Chick-fil-A. But anyway, we could probably talk about milkshakes all day and also smoking meats. You're a big um, 
you know, smoker yourself, Jeff and I spent, I think, half the podcast last week. Maybe we'll talk about that a little, little further into the future here. But let's just kind of get into it in this week's LPL Market Signals podcast. Like we said, Lawrence, we're going to start things off with Jackson Hole. I'll kind of set the pins up, and then you can knock them down. The annual symposium, which was virtual for the second year in a row, put on by Jeff Bookbinder's Kansas City Fed. Um, it's an economic symposium. You know, the Fed's view of kind of how the whole world is doing, how the U.S. is doing, views on rates, views on inflation views on the economy. We've seen some really big events. I know QE2 was announced in 2010 at Jackson Hole, sparking a big rally, actually, second half of 2010. Just last year, the Fed kind of changed the way they looked at inflation, saying, listen, we're, we've been burned too many times. We're not going to really start to worry about inflation until it starts to happen and sticks around for a while. That was a major, fairly major policy change. Um, Lawrence, you know, in a, you know, two or three minutes here, what was what were some of your major takeaways from Jackson Hole and what the uh, Fed chairperson had to say, Jerome Powell? Yeah, uh, we, we didn't get those same sort of policy pronouncements this time. You know, coming into this this meeting, markets weren't expecting much out of uh, out of Chair Powell in terms of changing course or or any sort of uh, announcements as it relates to tapering or or even interest rate hikes. So uh, he met expectations in in that they had a a, a consistent message with what they they. With what they've communicated with us over the past few months, uh, tapering the announcements likely to happen later this year. The actual tapering process could start in December or even uh, early next year. Uh, but as you mentioned, we're several years out from, from any sort of interest rate, interest rate hikes. Uh, I think if there was any sort of big takeaway and what the markets thought uh, was, was uh, seen as dovish, I guess, is that he really wanted to separate kind of this tapering decision from any sort of increase in, in interest rates. You know, he said tapering does not provide a signal regarding the, the timing of, of that interest rate uh, liftoff. And after that, markets really ran. Uh, we saw risk assets uh, move higher throughout the day after he mentioned that. Uh, I don't know if there was a concern that, you know, that once the tapering process begins, maybe a year, a year later, uh, you know, interest rate hikes would happen. Uh, but he 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 came out and said that that's not gonna, that's not going to be the case this time. There's a there's a higher threshold for for interest rate liftoff, uh, which uh, we we certainly haven't met yet, uh, particularly on the uh, employment side. So uh, the inflation goals have largely been met. He, he said he said, but then we're we're still uh, a ways away from uh, those empl employment goals, and and until we meet those goals, uh, we're likely not to see any sort of interest rate hikes in the near term. So that was really the, the big takeaway. He did, uh, you know, there are a couple of things that I thought were interesting, though. Uh, he didn't have a lot of comments on COVID. You know, there, I think there was three mentions by my count, which was interesting since the symposium had to go virtual, as you mentioned, because of COVID. Um, but it didn't sound like the Fed thought it would slow down growth meaningfully, maybe just slow that timeline of, of, of growth, but not uh, actually slow growth meaningfully. Um, so that was that was interesting. And, and Powell also spent a lot of time talking about the committee's views on inflation. And he mentioned some of these disinflationary headwinds that we've talked about in the past, kind of technology, globalization, and, and demographics, and why they think that's uh, going to be a, a temporary spike in, in consumer prices. But um, uh, they're not too concerned about what we're seeing on the CPI and, and PCE uh, prints uh, because they do think they're going to be temporary. Uh, and then finally, didn't say transitory one time. You know, this, this word maybe we're retiring the word transitory. Maybe transitory is a is a transitory word, and we're just going to stop talking about it. Uh, which, which is my hope. It's been ill-defined, uh, but didn't mention it at all. 
Well, I didn't. <clears throat> that's why you're the Fed whisperer. You actually pay attention to how many times he says the word transitory. I didn't hear that one. That's interesting. So, yeah, those are my views, too. I mean, you know, Jeff and I on this podcast have been talking a lot about the idea that when tapering starts, which likely would be later this year, early next year, the first rate hike would probably be about a year later. That was just kind of common wisdom out there. That's what most people seem to agree. It seemed like Fed Chairman Powell threw some cold water on that and the idea that, hey, listen, just because we start to taper, you don't have to hike right away. I mean, you know, you pointed it out, I think, in 2013 when the tapering came out. And believe me, one of the five worries we're going to talk about soon enough is the taper tantrum. So we're not going to dive too much in there, but it was almost over two years later. After the start of tapering, when the first rate hike happened in December of 2015. So, you know, just again, remember, it doesn't have to happen right away. But you're right. I mean, you know, the idea that the, the inflation is not a major near term worry. I mean, he kind of hit, you know, clearly when you look at what the market did, he hit the ball out of the park because he kind of calmed a lot of fear saying, listen, Here's what we want to do, but COVID, Delta is still out there. We could change this. We, we're, we're flexible here. And with the Fed, the way I've said it for, I think, for years now, the Fed is a tailwind, right? The, the things, the, the, the monetary policy, the record monetary policy that we are seeing with an $8 trillion um, uh, Fed uh, balance sheet and keeping rates low for an extended period of time, like Fed Chairman Powell just final, once again said on Friday, are tailwinds likely for risk assets. I'm not sure if it's a tailwind for the economy, to be very honest, but it's a tailwind for risk assets. And that is exactly uh, why stocks have really performed as well as uh, as they have. I mean, so tell me this much, Lawrence. I mean, we have all, it seems like every day, right? We're making new highs every day, <laughs> but we also have different people inside the Fed, hawks and doves, making their comments, giving their two cents worth. It feels like some are a little more, um, likely to say let's let's hike rate sooner let's start to taper sooner but it seems like what we all should have been paying attention to the whole time is who's driving the bus and that's jerome powell right yeah that, that's absolutely right um the day of of Jack, that jackson hole presentation on friday there was a, a bunch of fed presidents out there on bloomberg tv talking you know significantly more hawkish about uh, interest rate hikes and, and tapering plans you know, and, and I think there's some some concern that these regional Fed presidents are closer to what's going on in their region, so they're maybe more know about, uh, probably know more about the the monetary policy and what impact it's having on economic growth. But at the end of the day, it's Chairman Powell and the board or the board of governors and the, the voting members of that committee uh, that are going to uh, you know talk to the tapering process and they're going to they're going to lay out the plan on when and how they're going to taper. Uh, these Fed presidents that are out there that we see that are being a, a bit more hawkish, they're they're just not um, they're they're not getting their views uh, to Chair Powell, uh, I guess, as clearly as they're making their views on TV. But um, yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of disagreement out there. But Chair Powell is is the one to watch. Uh, absolutely, he's kind of the Wizard of Oz pulling all the strings. And Jeff and I have talked about this. What's interesting, some of the more I guess we'll say vocal hawkish Fed uh, chair members, they're non-voting members. Now, they'll be voting members next year as that cycles through, but it's just interesting. The guys who, guys and gals who don't vote seem to be the ones that are kind of, you know, causing some of the mischief, if you will. So great, uh, great stuff there. I mean, Lawrence, I'll just give you maybe another one more chance. Any final comments on Jackson Hole and policy? And again, remember, we are going to talk about tapering and taper tantrum in a little bit, but anything high level you want to finish and then we're going to move forward? Yeah, the only other thing I would mention is that although Chair Powell was was the you know the, the keynote presenter there, they also had a number of other uh, presenters, a lot of uh, professors and some practicing economists. So there's other research out there that was presented that was 
um, you know, pretty interesting. We won't get into it here because it, it's not really germane to, to, to tapering it and, and that. Um, but it, it is. It was pretty interesting to have some sort of other uh, perspectives on how uh, policy and both monetary and fiscal policy are is impacting the economy unevenly. And that was the theme of the of the uh, symposium: the uneven uh, recovery in the economy. So um, it was it was more than just chair pal, and that's why that's you know it's such a big deal every year. Uh, but there was some interesting uh, research out there that, uh, that that came along with Chair Powell's comments. And you want to put your tinfoil hats on when people realize the title about an uneven economy. And then two Fridays ago, when it was announced this was going virtual, what has the stock market done since then? It feels like it's up every single day, making a new high. People realize real soon, okay, well, if they're canceling their own, not canceling, you know what I mean, though, canceling the in-person version of the Fed's own big annual symposium, they're probably going to remain dovish, and that's exactly kind of what happened. So let's move forward now, Lawrence. Um, we're going to do a fun one called Poking the Bear. So, again, this is um, some five common, I guess we're going to call them myths here at LPL Research, but five common things that we hear a lot about uh, from some of the bears. And believe me, there are some things that we can't disagree with. Specifically, I guess one that strikes me immediately is stocks are pricey. Jeff's talked a lot about historically, look at PE multiples, you know, up 21, 22 ish for PE multiples. That's the highest we've seen since the late 90s. Okay. So stocks aren't cheap. All right. We, we understand that we, we agree with that one. But some of the things that we're going to talk about today are some things that we think uh, aren't true. And I don't, Lawrence, have you ever poked a bear? I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a bear live other than like at the zoo. Do you even see bears at the zoo? I've seen bears somewhere, I'm sure. You ever poked one before? It doesn't sound smart. No, my uh, my my parents raised a, a, a smarter child than that. I would I would never do that. Well, I, I can see me doing it. So I guess that says a lot about my parents, but the, but I guess I've never had the opportunity. So that's a, that's a good thing. So let's go ahead and poke the bear. I'll, I'll start Lawrence and then bring you in. I mean, first thing we're going to talk about, one of the things we hear a lot about is listen, stocks are up a lot. That has to be bearish. Well, if you've listened to all to the LPL market signals podcast for the last 17 months, the majority of the studies and figures and things that Jeff and I have been talking about, it's something like, boy, the last time we saw blah, blah, blah being this strong and this this high, it usually resolves higher. We've been saying that repeatedly and the, the similar thing. So literally, like as we speak, the S&P is like making a new all-time high on Tuesday, up about 20% for the year. 53 new all-time highs already this year in 2021. That is the most new all-time highs in the history of the S&P 500 before August was over. 52 in 1964 was the previous record. 51 in 1995. Now, 95, most people remember, is a historic year that I mean, went straight from bottom left to upper right on your screen. 77 new all-time highs in 1995. Incredibly, we are technically on pace to break that. I think gun to my head, I don't think we quite will. But I mean, we still see some reasons to think stocks are uh, going to continue to have a pretty good rest of this year. And what I want to point out now, though, is when you have at least a 15% gain for the year, so that's a really good start to the year, um, the, the final four months are actually up. Um, significantly better than the average return, right? And the median returns up over 5% because you've got this big drop in 1987, but it's the last one, two, three, four, last five times. Stocks are up at least 15%. The final four months, stocks continued to gain. And we had, uh, you know, close to double digit returns, um, you know, the previous three times. So the truth of the matter is, again, this strength that we've seen tends to resolve higher. It's not perfect, you know, up over 100% from the lows in 17 months, you know, all 
these new highs. The rubber band is stretched awfully far. We haven't had a 5% correction since last October. So let's just be honest. We've been very fortunate as investors, especially if you're overweight equities in this type of environment, um, which if you listen to this podcast, hopefully you have been, but we would be open to the idea of some type of little snapback here. Um, but history would tell us that it likely could be a buying opportunity in that historically strong fourth quarter, uh, at least for equities, very well could play out once again. Although, you know, there's always a caveat. Don't forget, September is the worst month of the year on average. We talked about that a little bit last week. Um, although you can throw all that stuff out this year because we've <laughs> S&P's just laughed at every potential bearish thing that's happened. Although last year we did see nearly a 10% correction. I believe it was September 2nd. There was a peak. Then for about three weeks, we had a really rough pullback, um, nearly 10% last September. Then a little bounce at the end of the month. So it wasn't, you know, the month wasn't down 10%. But still, um, you know, the, tr- the calendar is something to watch. But if we get a pullback, we would be buyers of it. So I'm going to turn it to you now, Lawrence. You can um, hopefully talk a little bit about earnings and I can chime in as well. But the idea that earnings are simply smoke and mirrors, meaning, well, gee whiz, of course, earnings are up a lot. A year ago, you shut down the economy. Lawrence, kind of tell me a little bit about, and this is this is Jeff's, you know, I know this is Jeff's lane. Hopefully you can fill in here. Um, you know, tell me a little bit why that's not true. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, Jeff, um, presented a, a great case to kind of refute this uh, this argument that it's just uh, based upon easy comps. Of course, the year-over-year comps are are probably better than a lot of people expect. You, you start from a, a low base, uh, and then as the, the economy uh, recovers, you're going to get back to kind of more normal uh, earnings growth. Uh, but one of the arguments that he made is that if you look at the, the comparison, or you make a comparison of 2021 versus 2019, so even before the pandemic uh, began, earnings are, are outpacing uh, those expectations, but I think it was 26%. So uh, yep. it's, it's not just a year-over-year comp uh, that, that's uh, driving uh, prices higher. Earnings are, are, are really, really good. You know, the, I, I think we expect earnings on a, on a go-forward basis to be up about 20% over the next year, too. So uh, this this notion that it's just easy comps, I think, is 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 not the right uh, message and and not one that we that we buy into. Yeah, and the key concept, what you just said, right? Our earnings earnings are expected this year to be up twenty six percent more than they were pre COVID. So that's not just okay. Well, you were down a lot in early twenty twenty year over year. You're talking you're up significantly above pre COVID levels before the recession hit. You know, ninety percent of stocks. I'm sorry, ninety percent year over year earnings growth in the second quarter was expected to be sixty five percent this time about a month ago. Um, you know, up over I think it was eighty eight or eighty seven percent of stocks beat earnings estimates about the same amount beat revenue. Revenue was up almost twenty five percent year over year, one of the largest jumps. So maybe you cut something here, you cut something there, it improves your, improves your earnings. Revenue is also along for the ride. So you just put all of this together and we would say, like we've been saying for a while, earnings have been amazing. They've been justifying this equity rally that we have seen. And again, one of the better ways to put it is, hey, earnings estimates so far this year are up about 21%. The S&P is up about 20%. What does that mean? If you thought stocks were pricey at the start of the year, they probably were. We agreed. They probably were pricey. But when earnings are expanding early in a cycle, you can still grow. So stocks are cheaper now than they were at the start of the year after a 20% rally. I think that's um that's kind of amazing when you think of it like that. So we're going to uh, shift gears first for a second. We have a birthday boy in the house. Warren Buffett turned 91 years young yesterday on August 30th. 
obviously we all have a you know i've never met warren buffett you've have you, you ever met him by chance lawrence i have warren? not it's yeah. uh it's certainly one of the, the bucket lists to go out to, to nebraska and, and talk to him and, and of course charlie munger too uh, both legends and you yeah speaking of going somewhere you you try you tried you did your best you know about a month or so ago telling the whole lpl research team listen you guys need somebody to go out to jackson hole i think i know somebody you know you, you, you tried your best to get out there but it was virtual anyway so it wouldn't have mattered but you know so i mean obviously we want to give a shout out to warren buffett obviously we've talked about him on this podcast before there's so many great warren buffett quotes i'm going to paraphrase it i don't have in front of me my favorite one was he said something along the lines of um he looked at the actual actuarian tables and he found out that six-year-olds have the longest, um, have the least propensity to die and lowest death rate, I guess, another way to put that. So he said he started eating like a six-year-old. I always, uh, always found that to be, uh, <laughs> I found that to be pretty funny. Uh, you have, you have any stories or, or quotes or anything about Warren? I'm putting you on the spot here. Hopefully, yeah, uh, hopefully I mean, you might, but, or, or Charlie for that matter, either of them. The one that comes to mind and just maybe, uh, speak volumes about me is the one that you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide comes out. Yeah. So that one, that one gets a lot of, uh, a lot of airplay. Um, and, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, you, there's a lot of things happening underneath the surface uh, until that tide comes out and you see who's swimming naked. I was going to say, that doesn't, I don't know. I'm not going to ask you the question I'm about to ask you. People can imagine what that'd be, but, um, you know, here, let me, re okay. Now I'm going to read it word for word. So I didn't screw it up. I checked the actuarial tables and the lowest death rate is among six-year-olds. So I decided to eat like a six-year-old. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty funny. We talked about McDonald's earlier. I know he's a big fan of that. Um, and his diet Cokes as well. Um, also the other one that I really think is cool in honor of Warren Buffett's 91st birthday, it is not necessary to do extraordinary things to get extraordinary results. I think that's pretty cool and pretty powerful because honestly, as long-term investors have unfortunately and fortunately seen the past two, call it two years, if you got cute and panicked and sold a lot of risk assets in March 2020, trust me, you weren't the only one. It was a very scary time, 34% correction in the S&P in six weeks. But what happened was that was a chance to buy things clearly at a discount. And now we've seen the record bounce higher, making new all-time highs. So you didn't need to be cute. You didn't need to be extraordinary to make extraordinary returns. Um, and, and that's a really good way, a historic way, I think, to look at it. So let's move forward now. Um, taper tantrum. Lawrence, this is obviously more your neck of the woods, so I'll set the ball up and give it to you. Uh, the idea of a taper tantrum simply is in 2013, uh, Bernanke made a comment. I don't know if it was off the cuff or not, but it clearly caught the market off guard. I think he did it around May or June-ish of 2013, and we saw massive speed. He said, listen, we're going to start to taper, right? And that caught everybody off guard. The bond market threw a big fit. Bonds had one of their worst years ever in 2013. Even the S&P had, I think it was a 5.8. We'll just round up. Close enough for government work. A about a 6% correction in those summer months during the taper tantrum of 2013. Full disclosure, stocks gained 30% in 2030 or 2013. So I guess I'd almost say as a stocks guy, we'll take another taper tantrum, stocks gained 30%. Um, and so there is worry about a taper tantrum happening again in 2021. Lawrence, walk me off the ledge. Why are you not worried about a taper tantrum this year? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Ryan, so back in 2013, Ben Bernanke, it was actually during a Senate testimony where he said that the Fed would start to reduce bond purchases uh, in the coming months. That was the first time that the equity markets and the fixed income markets had heard that uh, and they figured that there would be some a withdrawal of support. Markets don't like surprises like that. So we did see a, a big sell-off temporarily, as you point out, in the equity markets. And then we saw interest rates move higher 
by about a percent on the 10-year Treasury over, over the next month, so, so bond sell-off as well. Uh, so it, it did surprise markets. This time around, the, the markets should be well prepared for a taper, a coming taper. The Fed has been talking about reducing bond purchases for months now. Uh, so I think they started talking about it, I want to say either in May or June. Uh, so we've had a number of months uh, to, to digest the fact that tapering would take place sometime this year, uh, if not this year, uh, towards the beginning of, of next year. Uh, so you know, there's this uh, you know, famous Fed chair, William um, McChesney Martin. He kind of quipped that the, the Federal Reserve's job is to take away the punch bowl just as the party gets going. Um, you know, we don't think that that's going to happen this time. Uh, because the, the Fed is going to remain accommodated for the foreseeable future, and the markets are well-versed and are, are, are uh, aware that the Fed is going to start reducing bond purchases, uh, unlike what happened in 2013. So, no, we don't expect a, a, another taper tantrum to happen this year. Yeah, I mean, the fact we've been talking about the word tapering <laughs> for what feels like several months, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody. But you're, you, So you're saying, I think the four most dangerous words in investing, this time is different. But I, I, you know, I, I do believe you uh, when you say this time's different because Jerome Powell's all over the place talking about it. He's been on 60 Minutes repeatedly. I've said it before. I bet you he goes on 60 Minutes again when they start talking about tapering. I mean, he is not your father's chairperson. He is a Fed chairperson. He is out there explaining uh, things uh, much more than just about any other Fed chairperson has. And speaking of quotes, I love the Reagan quote, the nine, uh, the nine most dangerous. We talk about the four most dangerous words. The nine most dangerous words, according to the President Reagan, was I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I always thought that was pretty funny. Those uh, those nine words are something you got to worry about too. All right, so the I think we have two more. We got two more. I'll do this one fairly quickly. Cyclicals are dead and over. We've been hearing a lot about how, um, you know, look at small caps and cyclicals and materials and industrials and airlines. Um, you know, transport's a big part of that also. Uh, some of those groups have struggled, honestly, for the last five months. Markets been making new highs. We talk about that all the time. But the cyclicals have kind of been left for dead. We would disagree with that. We think it's, it's almost as simple as after a huge year-end rally last year, a lot of these names have been consolidating. Uh, transport's had a, I believe it was a 15-week record win streak. Transport's data back to like 1897. That's the longest weekly win streak ever. Peaked in May. Hey. There's been consolidating, and all of a sudden, we're starting to see some strength. Small caps, very similar. Small caps, Russell 2 gained like 25% in the fourth quarter, and they've almost been consolidating a big part of this year. Yeah, small caps underperformed large caps, but we're quite optimistic that small caps might take that baton back again as they digest those record gains they saw. Then you look at last week, last Monday, when the Pfizer had the Pfizer vaccine news that kind of kicked off a big rally in these cyclicals that said, hey, maybe market, not the market, maybe the economy can open up a little bit more, more people get vaccinated. Um and, and we saw just a huge move um, in, in small caps. The small caps relative to large caps, one of the largest weekly gains since last March. And if you look at internals on Friday, we saw a massive amount of small caps higher uh, versus lower on Friday. Last time we saw anything like that was literally March of 2020 when we saw this day, day that strong for small caps. What I'm getting at is cyclicals in our view at LPL Research are not dead. It's a group we really do like. Um, we'll call it the last four months of this year. Your small caps, industrials, materials, financials have continued to do really, really strong. Financials, like one of the best performing groups the last couple of months, and yields have gone lower. What's that tell you? There's something under the surface going on that, that, that we think cyclicals are an area you still want to be invested in. A lot of people don't agree, but that's one area we think uh, it's a myth and you should 
actively look to add some cyclicals to your portfolio. Last thing, Lawrence, um, the idea that, I'll let you talk a little bit, the idea that Washington policy will ruin things. I did just do the nine dangerous words about being from the government here to help. Um, but nonetheless, you know, if higher taxes, higher regulation, um, you know, just back and forth, the drama in Washington, that could knock the bull market and the economic recovery on its side. Tell me why you don't think that's the case. Yeah, so for, for policy, uh, and Barry put this together, and it's great, great argument that policy, it, it matters, uh, but unless there's a, a glaring mistake, a big policy mistake, it's unlikely to, to derail any sort of bull market. And if you think about kind of what the agenda uh, looks like for, for President Biden, we're going to have presumably a lot of uh, infrastructure spending, two to two and a half trillion dollars in new spending over the next 10 years. There could be some higher taxes that, that go along with that, uh, but uh, it will probably be geared towards corporates or corporations and uh, folks at the, at the higher end of the uh, the income spectrum. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't look like there's a lot to be concerned about from the, the policy uh, policy front. You know, one thing that, you know, I think is out there is the debt ceiling, but like the, the 2013 uh, taper tantrum, I think markets and politicians have learned what happens if, if the debt ceiling isn't resolved. Uh, so, I, you know, we don't think that that's going to be a, an issue and that's going to be get straightened out before another 2011 type of event happens. Yeah, the 2011 debt downgrade in early August um, is what we're talking about there, where stocks dropped nearly, I think, 19% in like four days. But we're not predicting that. We're, we're saying we're, we're, we're hopefully a long way from something like that. But, but the truth, again, uh, we've said it before. Listen, a lot of people didn't like uh, President Obama, right, for whatever reason. They didn't like him. They didn't invest in the stock market because they didn't like them. They missed historic gains. Fast forward to President Trump for four years. Stock market had a great four years. People didn't like President Trump. They didn't want to invest in the stock market because of based on their politics. So we've seen that two times in a row. Now, where are we? Some people clearly like President Biden. Some don't. And some people, they don't like them. Maybe they haven't invested. What have they missed on? 53 new highs so far this year. So again, it's so important. And we've said this time and time again. And I can't believe it's a midterm year next year. I, I don't even want to talk about politics ever again after what we went through in the last, last cycle. But, but the truth, again, is separating your politics from your investments is one of the best things you can possibly do. It's not easy. You know, it's the way we're wired. We believe in certain things and, and we think, you know, we just think we're right. And if we disagree with it, maybe we we sometimes make poor decisions from an investment's point of view, but it's so important to separate, again, politics from investments. And the truth is with massive monetary stimulus, with massive fiscal stimulus, young in an economic cycle of growth, this is still, I know it sounds crazy. This is a young bull market, guys. It's like 17, 18 months old. All right. This isn't, bull markets last about five years on average. Who knows if it goes five years, but we think it's got time left. So again, separate your politics from your investments. Um, and that's important. And also, hey, stock market likes spending, whether you agree with it or you don't, the stock market likes spending. Um, and also historically, a, a, a high, um, extremely high Fed balance sheet with low rates, what we see last decade, that's usually bullish as well. So some of these things are in there that you got to separate your politics from your investments and things still look pretty good to us. Last thing, very quickly. Well, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll fire one to you, um, Lawrence. What is your favorite meat to smoke? You're a big smoker yourself. Jeff just got his Traeger. I've had mine since Memorial Day. I smoked a brisket last Monday. Turned out surprisingly, I don't know, just follow the directions. Turned out pretty good. What do you enjoy smoking? Yeah, my, my go-to has been kind of the, the, the pulled pork, you know, the yep. pork butt. It's something that you you put it on the smoker, and 12 hours later, you, you come back out there, and it's it's just deliciousness. Uh, so, yeah, I 
I don't have a Traeger. I, I'm looking into a Traeger though. I, I mean, I hear you guys talk about Traeger grills and this is not a, a, a commercial for that. And we're not pumping the, you know, the stock obviously either, but um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of good things about Traeger and, and I, 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 I may actually, um, you know, look into getting one here, here soon. So. I'm I'm a big fan of my phone. Like a lot of people, if I can do it on my phone, I like it. I mean, I literally, once you plug it in, you, you control everything. You can be wherever you want to be. And as long as you got, you know, you're connected to your phone, you can control your grill and you know exactly what's going on with your food in there. So again, not a recommendation for Traeger, which actually just had its IPO, um, but big fan of the product. Anyway, enough of that stuff. So we're going to leave on this note. I'm going to call it a positive note. Oh, by the way, uh, hopefully everyone has a great long weekend. We will do the podcast next Tuesday, um, like normally scheduled. I believe Jeff is probably going to jump back on. Um, but hopefully everyone has a great, happy, and safe uh, Labor Day holiday, and hopefully it starts to cool off a little bit. And and by the way, anyone impacted by the hurricane, and we've got a lot of LPL advisors and their clients, just anyone in general down in Louisiana and wherever else was impacted by that, our thoughts and prayers go out to you if you need to. Believe me, if you're an LPL advisor and you need anything at all, please reach out to LPL. We would love to uh, well, we should love to help. We'd, we'd hate the fact we have to help, but we are here for you to help you uh, get through those tough times um, with what happened with uh, the hurricane. But we're going to leave on a positive note now. So the S&P, by the time most people listen to this, or actually by the time anyone listens to this, is going to be up seven months in a row. That's one of the longest monthly win streaks we've ever seen. This is LPL Market Signals. What is the signal of the market after a seven-month win streak, you ask? Guys, the S&P 500 has been up 13 out of 14 times six months after a seven-month win streak with a very impressive, I think it's 7.9% average return. Um, so that's much better than the average return. So again, this is just one data point. There's lots of other things out there, but this is this does not do much to uh, slow down our overall view. This is a major structural uh, secular bull market that likely has many more gains and potentially a long life left to it. Um, so again, a seven-month win streak is actually a good thing. We're going to have a down month eventually, I mean, you know, that's just the way it works. Um, but again, we think it'd be an opportunity to add to equity. So with all of that, I think we've hit the end of the road. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining. Thanks to Neil, our producer, as always, for getting this out there in a timely professional, which sometimes we need that help, professional manner. Um, and to all of you, the listeners, if you like this podcast and want to help us, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a positive review. It really does go a long way. Like we said, this is our officially our third year. This might be our hundred and it's pretty close. This might be our hundred and fiftieth podcast. I mean, it might be one forty nine. We're getting close. Uh, we might be we're ballpark right about one hundred and fifty podcasts. So um, we're still slowly starting to figure this whole thing out. Uh, but with all that, everybody, again, have a great long uh, holiday. We'll be back with you next uh, next week after the holiday. So with that, thanks again, Lawrence. We'll see everyone then. Take care. Bye bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All index 
businesses are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through Elkdale Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.